What's going on, guys? Uh, we're back for episode two of Hard Knocks UT with myself, Michael Farber, and Cody Henry. Uh, today, we're going to be having two interviews, two separate interviews, one with Steven Nagati um, of Fanat Fanatic's Perspective on YouTube. Uh, check out his YouTube channel. And the second interview is going to be with Trey Wallace of Rocky Top Insiders. So uh, I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and uh, we'll be back with you after the interviews. Thanks for coming back, guys. Hey, guys, as promised, we are here with Trey Wallace from Rocky Top Insider. Want to talk a little season preview, get a little maybe some insight from fall camp. What's up, Trey? How's it how's it going? It's uh, it's good. It's good, man. Just I don't know, just staying, staying busy all these morning practices and whatnot and uh, getting a chance to talk with a lot of players, which is good. So it's uh. We're in fall camp mode, man. We're like three weeks away. I guess Thursday will be three weeks away from the start of the season. So, so it's how, here. <laughs> from from a media standpoint, uh, how how do you feel about that? Like morning practices as opposed to afternoon practices. Is well, that... I mean, you can't you can't beat the heat. I mean, that's good that it's you know not three thirty <laughs> or four o'clock in the afternoon and it's ninety five degrees. And um, I I like it. Uh, some people don't. You know, and that's and that's okay, but I, I do, um, especially when we get to you know. So we're you know we're at practice, and then kind of like you know give me a, a breakdown of how it goes. We're at practice, and then you know we come off the field, and then we have you know we come off the field probably around let's say nine thirty, and then we're waiting until about eleven. 11.15 until we get a coordinator. Like, you know, for instance, like, you know, we would get like Glenn Ellerby, you know, at like 11.05. And then what we would do is, is after Ellerby or Brian G. Mayer, whoever's done, uh, then we go outside and, and we get to talk with players, um, you know, and that usually lasts about 30 minutes. Um, so I like it. I mean, you know, you're getting all your interviews and your, your stuff done from footage wise and everything you're done by, 1231 then it's all about you know the rest of the day it's all about putting it together and articles and whatnot so yeah i'm digging it okay i know i looked into it a little bit and they said it was the first time tennessee had really done morning practices since Dooley, and that that just kind of shouldn't shiver down my spine i don't, I don't want anything <laughs> i think i think you'll be okay i, don't, I mean don't to worry about <laughs> is, is if we can put up points and and have a tyler bray like quarterback i'm fine with morning practices but i don't want that that Derek Dooley defense to come back. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens, you know, once these kids start going to class, you know, once they have to get back right. in that routine of going to, you know, practicing in the mornings, you know, getting your meetings done, your therapy, and then, you know, you're spending all afternoon in the classroom, you know, and then coming back to the facility at night to go over tape and whatnot. So, you know, it, it'll be a grind for these players, you know, once the, you know, I think classes start, I think the 18th, 19th, something like that. Um, so we'll see, but right now I think, I think the players like it and it kind of gets their day going, you know, they have more free time in the afternoon. Right. Yeah. Not bad. All right. Week one, the raging Cajuns. No, that's Texas. Wow. The Falcons. <laughs> the Falcons. Yeah. All right. Week one, Bowling Green, nice little blooper there. All right. Yeah. Week one, the Falcons. It was, and that's part of the mix up there. Uh, for Tennessee and Texas, both they both have a uh, kind of like a okay. What what do our defenses look like? Texas obviously has the more uh, 
the more grueling opponent there with the Raging Cajuns. They like to put up points. But uh, even even with Bowling Green and Tennessee, um, wouldn't you say Tennessee needs to hold them to like three, maybe ten points to uh, to really set the season up on defense? I mean, honestly, I think you're going to have – there's going to be moments where the defense is going to sputter a little bit in the opener, and that's okay. Um you have to remember, too, you know, they've been going up against, and they will be once the season gets here, first game, going up against this fast-paced offense, you know, every day in practice. And, you know, let's not – this is not the same Bowling Green as it was, like, four to five years ago because Bowling Green was kind of like a name. You know what I mean? Like, people around college football, like, they knew who Bowling Green was just because you see him so much in the MAC. Um, and then I, I don't think Tennessee fans can forget because Dave Clawson. You know, at, at Bowling Green. So, um, but I think defensively, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Tennessee gives up, you know, two touchdowns in that game, something like that. I mean, you know, they're not going to come out there and be perfect first game of the season. Right. Uh, but, you know, I think expectations should be okay, you know, keep Bowling Green under 21 points. You know, I think that is a reasonable expectation. Wasn't it like 20? 2015, they put up like 30 something points on us. Yeah, that was a Nashville. Nissan. Yeah, Nissan Stadium. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. That came down, it, it didn't come down. Well, it kind of did fourth quarter type thing when Tennessee finally broke it away. But no, I, I, I think they'll be fine. And, it, and it's all about what Tennessee can do on offense to kind of predicate, you know, how the defense plays. Right. I'm going to find out real quick. Yeah. All right. Week two, Pitt. You got the Panthers coming to Knoxville. They've got a, a killer defense. They got Kenny Pickett's senior quarterback with a big arm. What does Tennessee need to do to win that game? <laughs> Whew, man, that's the <laughs> bringing out the bats here. Bringing out the bats here. Let me tell you something. Uh, that is going to be, you know, usually we talk about like an SEC game is like the you know, pivotal point in the season, like that Florida game usually is and seeing what Tennessee does. To me, it's Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh has themselves a quarterback. They've got an offensive line, got a pretty decent defense, I would say, and it's a veteran group. So the Pittsburgh game, as crazy as it sounds, that's the pivotal game of the season. And I, I say that for two reasons. For the obvious you want to beat Pitt. You don't want to lose at home to Pittsburgh to an ACC team. But also, from a program standpoint, Tennessee cannot afford to lose the second game of the year because right now we're at that point where Tennessee fans are not even bought into what's going on at the moment. They're interested in the quarterbacks. You know, they're they're interested to see what the offense will do, and I, and I get that part. But – if you come out and lose that second game of the season, and then you got to turn around and play Tech, Tennessee Tech, and then Florida, and I know we'll talk about that, but you're setting yourself up for a long season of apathy and people not caring fully. I guess is the best way to put it. Because, you know, and I've asked a couple of Tennessee fans, you know, what would it be like if Tennessee, you know, comes out and loses the second game of the year at home? You know, and then knowing you got to travel down to the swamp a couple weeks later, I'm just saying that Pittsburgh game, man, is going to be so key for Tennessee 
to set up what they want to do for the rest of the season. And, you know, I, I don't know what to say about how Tennessee's offense will be able to manage against Pitt right now just because we don't quite know the starting quarterback, even though I have a feeling who the quarterback will be. Um, but I think offensively Tennessee can try to, you know, I, I watched a couple of Pitt games, not the whole game, as I broke them down, play, you know, play by play um, this offseason. And if Tennessee can spread the field and, and, and extend them in coverage in the secondary, then I think Tennessee will, will, will be fine against Pittsburgh. The problem is, you know, Pittsburgh is going to try to run the clock, you know, and they're going to try to, you know, that time management is going to be on their side. So how does Tennessee's defense match up in that mark, especially when it comes to depth wise. And so that that's key to me and it's going to be all season, you know, Tennessee can't go 45 seconds on a drive and then want their defense come right back on the field. Cause I just don't right. think Tennessee has the depth at certain spots for that. So we'll see. All right, assuming Tennessee Tech is a win week three. Um, I would hope so. Let's uh, – <laughs> just for hypotheticals, let's say Tennessee's leaving out of Knoxville for Florida 3-0 with the uh, with the pivotal win over Pitt there in the early non-conference. Florida, the week before Tennessee plays Alabama, do you think that's a big advantage for Tennessee? <laughs> yeah. I, I th- Yeah, because Tennessee, you know, plays the Golden Eagles – and Florida's playing the Crimson Tide. And if I'm not mistaken, that game is at in Gainesville. Is that game yes. in Gainesville? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, right. And that's going to be a prime time game uh, for, for Florida. You know, it, it couldn't set up better for Tennessee. Right. I mean, if Tennessee's rolling in 3-0 and, and, you know, they can get the backups in against Tennessee Tech and keep your guys rested um, and go into Florida – against a team that probably will be coming off a loss to Alabama. Um, you know, we'll see what Alabama does until they really get on the field. But expectation-wise, should be an Alabama win, but we've seen crazy things happen in the swamp. Um, you know, I would say that would benefit Tennessee. I don't expect Tennessee to go down there and win, but <laughs> if Tennessee can figure out that offense, you know, their, their offense, and kind of get things – hitched out over the course of three games and be able to go down to Florida and, and and I don't even want to say make it competitive. Tennessee needs Tennessee has positions where they're right on the same page as Florida. Some they're not, but some they are. Um, you know, it can make things interesting for the Gators, especially if they, you know, had that grueling contest against Alabama and, you know, they're tired and beat up and the Vols are coming in rested, you know, their starters, you know, Crazy things have happened in this world. I'm not saying Tennessee's going to win. I'm just saying they could make things interesting for the Gators. Yeah. Yeah, you get a couple guys benched that game, and and who knows what happened. Uh, Florida's already had uh, an injury this camp with uh, uh, Jaden Hill, the cornerback that tore his ACL last year. He's he's torn his ACL again this year. Really hate it for that kid. I'm interested to see what happens with Brenton Cox, too. Yeah, I think that's going to put. Uh, I think the hill injury that's going to put Elijah Blade in a in a starting role, maybe. Which he's good enough for, by oh, yeah. the way. Oh yeah. So the Florida um, game, you know, that that's going to be that'll be a measuring stick for Tennessee. Besides, you know, the Pittsburgh game, second week of the season. But how does this team respond going into a hostile environment? You know, in, in the swamp, 
schedule. So I, I'm intrigued by that one. So coming off the uh, trip to Florida, we've got Missouri. Could you see that trip, our trip to Florida, um, down there in Gainesville in the swamp, uh, just like we were talking about Florida coming off Alabama, us coming off Florida, could you see that t- uh, one loss turn into two for us against Missouri if we don't come out of the swamp with the right mindset? I think Missouri's good. I do. I think they have a good quarterback. I think they have a good system that, that they're putting in place on offense. I think their defense is going to be pretty decent this year. I think, you know, Missouri's around like that fourth best team in the East. Yeah, they're, they're complete. Right. They, they have a complete team. They don't, you know, it's not a bunch of five stars, you know, and nothing like that, but it's a complete football team. And, you know, if it, there's two ways to play it, if Tennessee goes, gets shellacked, you know, in Gainesville, what's that do mentally for them playing Missouri? But right now, I, I think Missouri on offense, you know, again, that's going to be tough for Tennessee to, to defend because, again, they get pressure, you know, on Basilak. And if you can't get pressure on him, he's going to sling the ball all over you. And, you know, the, the problem is, is, you know, can Tennessee linebackers cover a slant? And, you know, can Warren Burrell or Alante Taylor do their business? So, yeah, I mean, it, it, you, you kind of hit it right there with Tennessee having to play Florida and how would they respond, you know, potentially coming off a loss right there. And, yeah, I mean, one could turn into two and, you know. But I, I don't think that's an over-exaggeration of maybe what's kind of expected this year because that Missouri game is going to be tough anyways. Oh, yeah, yeah. And my, it, it really kind of stinks for Tennessee because – Everybody was so relieved to get that Georgia game moved later in the year. That way you're not Florida, Georgia, Alabama. And now here comes Missouri. Everybody's been picking on poor old uh, Eli Drinkwitz. And now he's actually got a team. And now it's just as worse going to Florida, Missouri. He's got himself a quarterback. The drink's not playing around, man. So it'll be uh, – that one will be an interesting game on Tennessee's schedule. I- I've scoped out about three or four games that intrigue me this year, and that's one of them. Do you think if we would have played them later in the year last year, that's probably a loss? Yeah, because of how much they came on that yeah, second I mean, they, half of the season. They started two and three, but they finished strong three and two to finish five and five. So and you got to remember how that game went down to a couple couple plays here or there from Missouri, you know, not messing up. You know, Tennessee might have put themselves in a bad spot, even though, you know, they, they played pretty decent that second game of the year. Um but we saw how good Missouri was, you know, towards the end and how Drinkwitz was kind of turning things around. Right. All right. Week six, South Carolina. I think Tennessee probably makes it three straight here. Um, I'm going to upset some South Carolina fans. I think they probably made the worst hire in the country with Shane Beamer. What are your thoughts on that? No? I, here, here's how I'll, I'll put South Carolina. Um, Shane Beamer to me – is I think in the long run, I think Shane Beamer turns out to be a good CEO of a program and is able to delegate uh, certain things, you know, on the coaching staff. I, you know, I'm not saying South Carolina is going to be, you know, some world beater and, and top three in the SEC East, but I will say that it seems like, you know, that program over there has a little bit of energy to them something new it's got to be you know better than than dead will must champ he's, you know, he's re- that, beamer's recruiting well so far 
Right. And, sure. and he's recruiting well. And he's, you know, he's that young whippersnapper type of coach. You know what I mean? And a guy that's been around college football for a long time. So I say that to say this, you know, if, if Shea Beamer can do his job of not trying to stick his nose into everything and let his coaching staff do the work, then, you know, two, three years from now, maybe South Carolina can get back rolling again uh, in a sense of, you know, vying for that second, third spot in the SEC East. But that's a game Tennessee can't take lightly. Um, no. Even though I think Tennessee should win, I still think South Carolina, you know, could potentially have a little mojo. You know, um, Shane Beamer's not backing down from anybody. And if you know his dad, you know where he's learned that from. Um, I still think the Gamecocks are a little bit while off, but I do think that they have a, a pretty decent coaching staff over there. And I do think that they have some playmakers uh, at certain spots. So, you know, I would count that as a Tennessee win right now, though. But the last thing Tennessee wants to get caught doing is looking ahead to that next game, Ole Miss. All-time record, 44-19, and 19, but there's a lot more at stake than just taking a loss to a, to a past rival. You got Lane Kiffin coming back to town. It's it's going to be fun. And, you know, Lane's been back here before, but not in that head coaching role. Right. And I think that um, it – I don't care what Tennessee's record is when they play Ole Miss. It's just going to be wild in general. You have to remember, too, and I'm not saying the connection straight to Kiffin – but, you know, look at the OC spot that they have. You know, there's, right. there's ties to the UCF-type program. I mean, you know, not loose ties, but there's kind of ties to the program. And can you uh, – do you do you got that uh, Ole Miss OC's name off chance? I, I had it, but Jeff I lost Levy? it. Who is it? Jeff Levy? Yeah, Levy. Because when we first hired Heupel, the, the big thing was he was going to come here with Heupel, and that never – that never worked out. And you have to remember, too, that, um, you know, Hypo and Kiffin are familiar with each other and pretty much the whole darn UCF staff um, because of, you know, recruiting battles that they had in the state of Florida. Right. You know, against FAU when Kiffin was down there during his time, even though, you know, Hypo was, you know, uh, that first year, I think he'd have gone up against Kiffin, but then also, you know, even being under Frost, something along those lines, you know, so – they know each other. And, you know, once you get two offenses like that on the field at the same time, um, you know, the defense might as well take a back seat in that game. In my opinion, it's yeah. all about who gets to 61st. Even, even, I mean, not knowing our quarterback or anything like that, that game already has a shootout type feel to it. Yeah. And I like, I like what Ole Miss has a quarterback. I like Corral. I, I oh, really yeah. do. He's a fun quarterback to watch. If you're just, you know, if you're just a college football fan, um, he, he's somebody that's that's very entertaining, and especially when you let, you know, let Lane Kiffin get his hands on him in a sense and, and know what they're trying to do, he's fun to watch. So that'll be an interesting game. I, I don't even know which way to call that one, but I, I tell you, you know, no matter what Tennessee's record is, it's going to be crazy because fans would be excited because Lane Kiffin's coming back to Knoxville. Oh, yeah. Yeah, hopefully it's a good weather game, night game. Maybe we can get some – get rowdy, get loud, run Kiffin out of there. What about black uniforms for that game? Ooh, I like it. 
Kind like of a it. back at you, Kiffin don't, type don't, thing. Don't get my hopes up. Don't get my hopes up. That'd be the perfect time for them to use the black uniforms. Hey, well, I hadn't even thought about that. And, you know, the Vol shop, they just they just got those black uniforms in. So there's going to be alternate uniforms. I'm that just, would, I'm not going to. Danny, Danny, Danny White and Josh Heupel, they killed the alternate uniforms at UCF. They, they yeah. absolutely killed it. Yeah. That'd be a fun game to do it. Night game. Go out the tunnel. Yeah. So would you, would you think, uh, the better week eight strategy is just to come out of Tuscaloosa healthy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because I, Tennessee, you know, Tennessee's going to have a tough time matching up against Alabama. And I think that's one of those games too. And I'll be honest with you where Tennessee tries to maximize what they do in the run game as well. You know, if, if there was ever a time to, to use the clock, to your advantage, it's against Alabama. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying they're going to come out, you know, run the ball every play, but you need four, five minutes, six minute drives, you know, against Alabama. So, you know, coming out of that one and playing that, yeah, that one's going to be an interesting one. How Tennessee does it? I mean, one of one of Jeremy Pruitt's better games when he was here was when he ran the clock against Alabama and. If it wasn't for the 99-yard touchdown fumble return, uh, that game could be interesting in the fourth quarter. It could have been. It been an eight. It been a what? Seven or eight-point game at that point. So exactly. Yeah, I mean, it could it could have been. Um, you know, and, and the Henry. You know, everybody would be attached on to the Henry Toa Toa thing as right. well. Oh yeah. Um, lots of storylines for that Alabama game. Lots well, of storylines. Hopefully, by week eight, we're. Uh, We've got this offense popping. Maybe we can force a shootout battle there. I don't think you're going to have to worry about them rotating three or four quarterbacks in week eight of the season. So right. Tennessee fans are fine on that standpoint. Um, so what do, you, what do you think Tennessee's sitting at the bye week? I've got them. I've got them five at five and three at the at the bye. That's probably pretty hopeful. But uh, wouldn't you say at least uh, four four wins by the bye would have you sitting pretty happy as as a Tennessee fan? Yeah, I, I I would have them sitting at four and four at that mark, um, you know, because you you know you beat Bowling Green, um, you know I would say you beat Pitt, take care of Tennessee Tech, beat South Carolina, that's your four wins right there. Just don't know you know about the whole Missouri thing, you know at the moment, but I think four and four, you know going into that scenario, you you've got an opportunity to get two down the stretch and get to six wins, which. That's kind of what I predicted for Tennessee to have this season, be six wins. So three three wins or less, Tennessee fans are probably burning couches, wouldn't you say? Three wins or less, it's going to be <laughs> rough in Knoxville. Three, look, three wins or less, and they're looking forward to, you know, basketball season. Oh yeah. Fall fall ball. Get the get the Vitello train rolling again. Right, exactly. Um so then you go week 10, you got Kentucky, um, kind of uh, Tennessee's in a weird spot with Kentucky, um, with Tennessee or Kentucky beating them at home last year for the first time since 1984. Um, that's a game I'm sure every Tennessee fan will definitely want us to go up there and dominate. Um, how do you feel? Kentucky feels really good about their quarterback position. What do you know about that? And how, how, how do you think they'll fare? 
you know, I like Hazelwood at Kentucky. I do. I've kind of followed him, uh, quarterback situation, followed him when he was at Auburn. You know, and if you're from the, the state of Alabama, you know, you always hear, you know, who the quarterbacks are down there and, and how they potentially play. Look, Kentucky's going to be a good football team this year. I, I, I think that – I don't think that – I'm going out on a limb by saying that. I think Kentucky is an eight-win, nine-win type football team. Um, I think they've got a. I think they've got a running game. I think they've got a, a quarterback situation um, that'll work itself out, and I think they're going to be good on defense. Tennessee is, you know, you you look at this game and you would say, okay, you know, it's Tennessee, Kentucky. You know, Tennessee should be Kentucky. And I'm telling you, this year is one of the things where Stoops got the Wildcats in a nice little spot. Um, right now, I don't chalk that up as a win for Tennessee. Yeah, that. That Tennessee should be Kentucky mindset. I feel like that's how everybody went into last year, and it was an eye opener. Right, exactly. And I just think Tennessee's in a spot, you know. And we'll see who. And that's the thing. Who knows what this offense looks like by that time? And who knows how Kentucky's season is going? But if you just ask me right here at this moment, you know, I I think Kentucky is in a little better spot as a whole, as a team. Maybe not better like every single position, but as a whole, I think that would give Tennessee problems that they'd have to, you know, fight against. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, right now on, on Twitter, you see a Kentucky fan talking about their season prediction, and you as soon as you click on it, you know there's Tennessee fans in their replies, and they're saying, oh, this person, this person isn't in Knoxville anymore, this person's in Knoxville anymore. If you watched that Tennessee-Kentucky game last year, I mean, it, it wasn't just one or two person. That, the whole team fell flat that, that day. Yeah, and that's what you can't have in situations like that. And, you know, again, what's Tennessee's record at the point? Are Tennessee players still dialed in? You know, a lot of factors go into that one. And that's why I think that Kentucky game is even more interesting than previous years. All right, we got three games left here. We got Georgia. Tennessee has, for some reason, scheduled it for homecoming. I don't think they meant it to be a to be a diss on Georgia. They they claim it's something to do with scheduling, but I'm not sure why November 20th is too late and November 13th works fine. But because uh, they want a packed house at Neyland Stadium, that's why they made it homecoming. Right? They, they want a hundred thousand in there, no matter what. So you know, you make homecoming against a a rival, an SEC rival you're pretty much guaranteed to at least have 90,000 in the stands. So the last time Tennessee scheduled an SEC opponent for homecoming was in the 80s, and that was Auburn, and Tennessee got blown out 59 to 20. Damn. Yeah. What are the chances Georgia blows Tennessee out 59 to 20 in Neyland this year? I don't think it would be that. You know, I don't, I don't think it would be – that bad or anything along those lines. That's, that's, about, that's pretty rough. Here's the thing about Georgia to me. Georgia's had this type of talent that they've had for the last six years, and they haven't been able to capitalize on it with a national championship. Um, I always said, and I know I'm kind of going back a little bit, but I, you know, and when and they didn't win a championship when you had guys like Sony Michelle or DeAndre Swift or players like that in your backfield to where they are right now. Um, 
you know, I don't want to say a past them because I think this could be one of Georgia's most talented teams that they've had since Kirby Smart has been there. They've got the quarterback situation nailed down. They got the defense. You got the offensive line. Your running backs are going to be stout. Interested in the wide receiver spot, um, but I think you know this is going to be a a look. It's a rivalry game, and it's homecoming, and you would think the players would be up for you know something like that. You know they don't want to get embarrassed, and and also they want to put up a fight against Georgia. We've seen here's the thing too. We've seen Tennessee teams in the past that aren't that good actually put up fight against these these teams that are supposed to win national championships or contend for national championships. Like we've seen that in the past and things kind of fall apart in the fourth quarter into the third, something like that. Um, It's going to be tough. Tennessee's not going to be beating Georgia, but I don't think it's going to be some massacre, you know, in in Knoxville. So just, just some numbers. Um, It was Pruitt's second year. Um, The Tennessee Georgia game was a 12 point game in the third. And then you had the next year, Tennessee's leading 14 nothing. That's when uh, Brian Maurer was was chucking the ball and then took the big hit from Eric Stokes. And then last year, um, they get the the fumble recovery in the end zone, play number one, and they're leading Georgia at halftime. And so it's just like, when when are we ever going to get that big second half against Georgia to close out that game? That's the thing. I mean, and it's kind of like I just said, Tennessee's always hung hung tough until certain moments where things just go downhill. It's not like Tennessee's offense was clicking right last year at times, but I will, you know, Garantano had, uh, that was that game where um, uh, Palmer, you know, got his toe in right there in the end zone. Be- had two beautiful type plays. So what I'm getting at is, you know, Tennessee seems to get up for these type of games. They're not going to lay down. Um, I just think George is a little bit too talented. Um, well, let me rephrase that. I think George is way too talented for, for Tennessee right now. But that's not like Georgia's going to come in and win by 38 points. Even with Tennessee taking about 10 years off the relevant stage, the the series with Georgia sits at 25 and 23, two ties in favor of Georgia. Before Josh Heupel's 10 years over at Tennessee, will we see that um, series tied or the Vols take the lead? You got a better chance of time in taking the lead. So right. I'll – I'll go with the tie part before I say taking the lead because we'll see how long Josh Heupel's in Knoxville. We we may see a tie with Georgia. All right, South Alabama. You're a South Alabama guy. That's my team. That's what my you, school. What are you What are you giving me on week twelve, Trey? What are we I'm seeing giving, from the What are we seeing from the Jags? I'm giving you Jake Bentley as the quarterback. I'm giving you Major Applewhite as the offensive coordinator. I'm giving you a top 10 receiver and Tolbert coming back this year. Um, and Tennessee should beat South Alabama by 30 points. <laughs> but but, um, but don't overlook, and I'm not just – I'm really not just saying this because, you know, I went to South Alabama and graduated from South Alabama. Um, they actually have a good offense this year. Um, so, you know, where's Tennessee at in their season? You know, when it comes to record-wise, how dialed in are they when a team like South Alabama could come in and throw the football around, which Tennessee should beat by 30 to 40 points, and I completely understand that. But, you know, it's pretty crazy that of all these years that have passed, 
Jake Bentley is going to line up under center and play Tennessee again for the second different school in five years. That's that's mind blowing to me. They um, South South Alabama was putting up some points last year, and and Jake Bentley was a big pickup for him. Um, I actually I hadn't thought about it, but he would be I think the fourth quarterback. Um, if if South Alabama were to pull the miracle and win, he would be the fourth quarterback to beat Tennessee at two different schools. Um, that's a crazy stat. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. You know, they got a good coach. Kane Womack's a good coach, and like I said, offensive coordinator wise, you know, it's uh, Major Applewhite, and they'll, they'll have some things dialed up. But it, you know, it, it, it South Alabama played Tennessee tough like five years ago. Um, you know, I, I would expect them to come out and play tough again. But, you know, Tennessee should be the talented group, and they should be throwing the ball all over the field against the defense. That game that game kind of gives me, uh, what was it, uh, Pruitt's first year against uh, the Charlotte 49ers for homecoming. It was like 14-7. to 7. Yeah. That was, that, was, that was a nerve-wracking night. I, this this <laughs> South Alabama game that gives me those feels, I'm like, oh. Don't let Tennessee roll in. It, just don't let Tennessee roll into that game without an opportunity to play for a bowl game. You got a right, motiv- yeah. motiv- yeah. motivated group from my hometown. So we're just having some fun here. I, I expect Tennessee to win. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Bandy, last game of the year. Vanderbilt mm. hasn't recorded an SEC win in almost two years when they beat Missouri October 19th, 2019. We haven't seen Clark Lee take the field with the Commodores yet. But just from some of the things I've heard, out of Nashville, I think he's a solid coach. I think he's probably the best they've had since James Franklin. What do you think's going on out there in Nashville? I like their quarterback. I like Ken Seals, that quarterback for Vanderbilt. Um, I think Clark Lee has put together a pretty darn good staff for what he could get at Vanderbilt. I do. Um, they're recruiting pretty decently as well at, at the moment. I think that helps when you have guys like Barton Simmons, you know, that are part of the program as well, uh, former recruiting analyst and, and came over there. Uh, but Clark Lee, you know, it, it, it's going to be a battle for him, you know, trying to do anything with Vanderbilt. It, it can't really get much worse than what they were doing under Mason. Um, and I think one of the bright spots of Vanderbilt was their quarterback situation with, with Seals. Um, so, you know, got to figure out a way to get pressure on him. Um, I, I expect Tennessee to win that game. Um, and I expect Tennessee to win that game, by, you know, convincingly 21 points or so. But again, it's one of those things. What's, what's Tennessee look like at the end of the year? Are they, are they sitting at five wins looking to beat Vanderbilt for that six win? Or are they sitting with four wins and the game doesn't matter? You know, there's so many different factors that, that would go into this thing. Um, but, you know, Tennessee should beat Vanderbilt. I'm just saying, you know, don't. Uh, don't fully overlook what they have at quarterback and wide receiver. They're they're lacking on on defense, but you know, offense wise, they can put up. You know, I, I think you know, put up three touchdowns. You know, something like that. I think that's one of those games Tennessee would they would like to go into it kind of like the Kentucky game, thinking, well, little brother's going to little brother. But you got to remember games like 2016 when we thought we were world beaters and lost to Vanderbilt, right? With uh, Dobbs and Kamara. Can't overlook anybody on this schedule. Not in Tennessee's spot this year. They just no, can't. 
that's Texas going to figure it out when they get to the SEC. You gotta you gotta watch out for everybody. <laughs> we'll see how that works out. They're not going. It's not like Texas is going to come in and you know play for an SEC West title within the first two three years. Uh, they they got to build up you know a little bit of a little bit of recruiting and um, you know but but that'll be fun when it happens down the road. I do think it happens and then the next two years. I don't think it, we're not going to wait till twenty five for that to happen. That, um, so. Yeah, seems ridiculous. Yeah, so that that'll go down, but. Um, I don't know. We're, we'll, we'll see. But Tennessee's schedule this year is an interesting one, to say the least, and um, definitely ready to get this thing started. Well, jumping to that point, um, what do you think of the Texas and OU move to the SEC? Do you think it's a good thing? Uh, do you not like it? Just what are your thoughts on it? I think it, I think it's, it's awkward at first. You know what I mean? Like it, when I think of Texas and Oklahoma – I think of Big 12, you know, and, you know, I, and that was the weird thing, you know, about Nebraska too, you know, Nebraska made the move over. They're just certain teams like you're, it's ingrained in your head. Okay. This is their conference. You know, um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they react when they get into the conference, when it comes to recruiting, because the big thing here too now is, they're not going to own the state of Oklahoma when it comes to recruiting. Yes, they'll get the main guys. You know, Oklahoma will out of their state. But, you know, you're going to have, a, you know, other big-time SEC schools now dipping a lot into Oklahoma. You got a lot of SEC schools dipping even more into Texas. Um, you know, it's not going to just be an A&M or Longhorn battle. You know, Alabama goes into Texas. They can get who they want usually. LSU usually can go into Texas and get – you know, pluck three players per class, you know, out of that. Um, you know, you've even seen Tennessee go into Texas and grab, you know, Caden Salter. So what I'm getting at is that, you know, it's going to be an interesting first couple of years when it when it happens. Um, you know, it's it's hard. You know, I covered Tennessee beat. So, like, it's hard for me to think, wow, Texas-Oklahoma is a division game or Texas versus Tennessee is a, a division game or – or seeing Oklahoma or Texas playing for an SEC title in Atlanta. Like a lot of these things just going to have to be drilled in your head, you know, for, to understand it. But I think we were always going down this road of expansion. And I think once they started talking about this 12-team playoff, I think that was then inevitable. It was going to happen. You're going to see expansion. Um, I, You know, it's a – it's a money grab as well. Let's just be real honest with each other here. It's a money grab. Um, Texas saw how much money they can make in the SEC as well um, and be a part of that that conference. You know, you can get rid of the Longhorn Network um, and kind of tie that in with the SEC Network. It's all ESPN property anyway. So, you know, it, it really doesn't matter. Um, but I, I think when, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Texas and Oklahoma do over the next two to three years before they join the conference. That's going to be the big thing to me. Do they come in hot or does Sarkeesian get off to a bad start at Texas, you know, in the first two years and, you know, they come limping into the Southeastern conference and they turn into a punching bag. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So Texas has got to take advantage of these next two to three years. And if they don't, you know, it's going to be hard for them to come in. So, you know, yeah. I, 
it's gonna it, it's still it's still interesting to me. There's a lot of stuff stuff to play out, but you know, again, when I think Texas Oklahoma, I think Big Twelve title game. I think you know the the you know the Cotton Bowl matchup. I don't think SEC yet. It's gonna take some time. Yeah. How long do you uh, do you think that takes? I mean, I personally think it'll be 2023 at the latest. I know it's not going to take till 2025. Um, could you see it happening in next year, 2022? I think it'd be really, really hard to pull off in one year. Um, you have to look at scheduling. Um, and look, the SEC can do a lot of things with scheduling. I'm not saying that. But you have to look at TV rights that they're going to have to negotiate over the next year. Um, you know, Fox is not going to go away. They're going to want their money, you know, when it comes to the Big 12 contracts. And a lot of this is going to have to do, too, what else? What what happens to the other eight teams? Mm-hmm. You know, how does that play out? Um, the Big 12 is not going to just say, okay, Texas, Oklahoma, you paid your fee. Y'all can leave after this year. I think they're going to try to soak them for as much as they can. Um, and if that means two years, okay. You know, maybe they can hang on for two years in the Big 12. But the Big 12 is just going to try to make as much money as they can from Texas, Oklahoma, during these next couple of years. And then they're going to have to bid them a f- farewell because Texas, Oklahoma will play will pay the fee to get out of, of the contract. But I, I, I just don't see that happening after this season. After next two years, yeah. This season will be kind of tough because I think the Big 12 will put up a fight as much as Mm -hmm. they can to at least be able to get as much money out of those schools as they can from a TV rights deal. And you have to remember this on top of that, kind of like what I just said. But now the SEC is going to have to go back into negotiations with ESPN. It's not like they can do that in a span of two to three months or even six months to a year. This is something they're going to have to talk about and they got to plan for the future and, you know, SEC is going to want this big amount of money and ESPN is going to want to give them this. And, you know, you also have to remember the SEC on CBS contract that is coming up. So a lot of TV money, you know, put into this and rights fees and stuff like that. So it's better that they take their time and not just rush just to rush um, and make sure they get it right when they join the conference. Um, tell me about um... – you said you had an idea you think would be the starting quarterback uh, come week one. Um, when I watched the Tennessee spring game, I really liked Harrison Bailey. Um, I haven't seen much of Joe Milton um, at all at Michigan or, or at Tennessee. Um, who do you, who do you think comes out in the end? I think, I think a lot of it's going to factor in what happens on Thursday when they have their scrimmage and then next Tuesday. Um, but, you know, being out there, and look, I wasn't a quarterback, and I'm not going to act like I was some coach. But to me, Joe Milton looks like an SEC-type quarterback. Um, I'm talking arm strength. I'm talking ability to run. Um, I'm talking, you know, being able to read defenses when it comes to, you know, running a spread or an RPO-type deal and what they like to do. Um, but also I think that about Hendon Hooker. I think a lot of people are kind of overlooking Hendon Hooker in, in this ordeal as well. He's got really good touch on the football. He can get the ball down the field. Um, he can spread things out. Um, he's very athletic, get outside the pocket. Um, and it's just, it's kind of different 
than what Bailey, you know, has as ran or, you know, in the past, you know, I know Harrison talked about it media days, you know, this is the kind of system that, uh, that I can flourish in or whatnot. Well, he didn't run this type of system in, in high school. Um, you know, and he definitely damn sure didn't run it with Cheney. So, you know, I'm, I'm just interested to see this three man battle right now. If Harris can come out and show the coaches that, he can get the play call from the sideline. He can be that leader that the offense needs. He can get these guys lined up when they need to be. And he can go every 10 seconds and, and run a play and, and understand. You know, the biggest thing when I talk to folks, you know, in the past, not now, but the past about Harrison Bailey is him being a vocal leader. And you have to be that in this offense. You have to be the dictator in this offense and, and get your guys going every single play. Is that the type of person Harrison Bailey is? Uh, well, I think we'll find out over the next six to seven days. Um, but, but right now, if you just ask me straight up quarterback wise, I feel like a lot of people got misdiagnosed with what they saw with Joe Milton last year at Michigan, because he tore two ligaments in his hand and his thumb area, the third week of the season and then didn't tell the coaches about it, you know, until two weeks later. So, you know, his numbers go down and, and, you know, his throws don't look as good. And, you know, and I'm not taking up for Joe when I say that. What I am saying is, you know, you saw a hurt Joe Milton Mm -hmm. towards the end of his time at Michigan when that first game of the season against Minnesota, you kind of saw what he could do throwing the football and, and running it as well. Um, but I think from a mental standpoint, once he got hurt and once he kind of messed up his 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 thumb and um you know went through those progressions with Jim Harbaugh, he just turned into a different quarterback. So it was always Josh Heupel's plan. Once once Milton into the portal and Josh Heupel ended up in Tennessee, the plan was to bring Milton. There was a reason why Joe Milton was on campus a month before the spring game happened. You know, Joe Milton had been in Knoxville, you know going over the playbook, not with coaches that would break NCAA rules, whatever. Going mm-hmm. over the playbook, learning the system, doing it on his own, working out. He was doing this before, you know, before like the sixth practice of the spring because he was also still taking online courses at Michigan to be able to graduate. With uh, so, you know, I think with, Milton does have a better understanding of the offense than people understand. With Milton being from Orlando, wouldn't you say Heifel was probably recruiting him for – for years while he was at uh, UCF, too? He recruited him at Missouri. Okay, yeah. wow. Yeah, he recruited him at Missouri when he was the offensive coordinator. Because um, you got to remember, Milton's been there 18, 19, 20. So it took a, took a COVID year, so technically two years, three years left, something like that. So, um, but yeah, but uh, he was recruiting him while he was at Missouri. So, you know, Eiple's known about Milton for a long time. I hadn't really thought about it being that far back, but yeah, that yeah. that would definitely be the timeline. Yeah, yeah. So it's not anything. It's not anything new, you know. Hypo uh, knows what he thinks he knows. We can get out of Milton, and I think Milton's starting to show that in practice. Yeah, I, I just going over the Tennessee schedule. I have them going seven and five, and possibly six and six, depending on that Ole Miss game. Um, do you think seven and five is a realistic? expectation for Heupel in year one. 
seven and five to me is overachieving. Um, I mean, everybody'll take it, but seven and five kind of feels like overachieving at Tennessee your first year, especially with the schedule the way it is. Um, but you know, go start the season three and zero. Go to Florida, take your licking, you know, and you know, if they could beat Missouri and be four and one, I think that's how the schedule lines up. If I'm not mistaken, they could be four and one at that point. Okay, now now things get interesting because you're playing Carolina and get a win, Vanderbilt you get a win, South Alabama you get a win. Okay, maybe maybe you got seven wins sitting there. So you know, I wouldn't say it's absolutely crazy. I would just say it would be overachieving for the first year and everything going on in the program. That's where I've got Tennessee too, that that seven and five range. But uh, that might be my orange sunglasses. I I would take I would take six and six. Um, if you go straight by the the ESPN matchup predictor, it's got us at five and seven. I would take that. I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't be like smiling. But I'd be like, all right, we got some work to do. But it's not a disaster. But you know, anything it's all about progression, man. It's all about progression. And, you know, five and seven doesn't look good on paper. But you know what? If your team is showing improvement, you feel like you're getting your offense down, you know, recruiting is decent during the season, you know, and you're getting some more players, you know, that you like, then, um, you know, and, and here's, I guess I'll leave it at this. Here's the biggest thing to be competitive, don't get blown out, you know. I think Tennessee fans are just tired of a lot of time just seeing the team get their ass whipped. You know, is the best way to put it. Be competitive in these games, you know, and, you know, don't go get beat by 40 points, you know, and, and you know, don't get drubbed, you know, against Georgia at home, stuff like that. If you're competitive in your five and seven, fans will have a better understanding of that. If you're not competitive and it gets ugly at times in your five and seven, you know, that's when things will be interesting, you know, in, in the off season when it comes to reaction. All right. Well, all right. Thanks for joining us, Trey. We'll let you get out of here. Perfect. Guys, I had a great time. Thanks so oh, much. Fine. I look forward to doing this again. And, um, oh, yeah. you know, we'll see what Tennessee does. I can't believe we're getting this close to kickoff, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad that we're finally here. The wait is over and, and we can get rolling, but, I do appreciate you guys having me on and, and hope y'all have a great rest of your time before we kick off here in Knoxville. For everybody listening and watching, look up Trey Wallace on Twitter. Um, he does the beat for RTI. Look up RTI. I'm, I'm sure if you're on Twitter, you've, you've heard of Trey Wallace and, and Rocky Top Insider. But you guys give him a, give him a shout out. Uh, we're glad he came on the show. Give us a kick-ass interview. But we're going to let him out of here. Thank you, Trey. Y'all be good, boys. Yeah, thanks. Well, what's going on, guys? We got uh, Stephen Agati with us here from Fanatic Perspective on YouTube. Over 10,000 subs. Um, what's going on? How you guys doing? Thanks for having me on, Michael Cody. Proud to be here. Glad to be here. Can't wait to talk some ball. Thanks for coming in with Absolutely. us, Stephen. So we had you on here today because we want to hear what your season outlook's like. What do you think? Uh what do you think Texas is going to do this year? So it's it's fascinating because we're in a time where we're coming into this season. Um, my outlook is, all right, how do we get to 10 wins? How do we get a Big 12 championship? 
get ourselves back on track to where we believe Texas should be and get all of our that now decade long drought, right? And then the SEC news drops. And it yeah. seems like the focus and everything, like we're just now, as of today, right, August 9th, while I'm sitting here recording with you guys, we're trying to get back on track to like, oh, we have a season we need to focus on right now in terms of handling our business in the Big 12. I think Texas has, they obviously have the talent to get to the Big 12 championship game. Oklahoma's going to be, I have them ranked in my top two, three teams. I'll be real with y'all. I think they should be a national championship favorite. They should be a playoff favorite. But so am I saying Texas should go and win the Big 12 this year and Steve Sarkeesian's first season? No, but I do think that they have to do something to try to at least leapfrog Iowa State, teams like TCU, handling their business and, and trying to get to double digit wins in year one under Steve Sarkeesian. So it's going to be very, very intriguing, especially watching him as a play caller. Can Texas have a more dynamic offense finally? You know, we've we, last year, I mean, I say dynamic offense, we scored 40 something points per game yeah. and <laughs> put up a lot of points, but I don't think any of us would say that that offense looked dynamic. So, you know, they, they've got to be aesthetically pleasing as well, guys. You mentioned uh, yep. a, a little different offense this year. Uh, I know we talked, me and Michael talked last week about your guys' running back core and how he wished last year. Um, they kind of would have stuck with the same running back to extend drives. Are you excited to see more of maybe an SEC style running back situation? Absolutely. I mean, Bijan Robinson is the face of the program now. And he and he took that over from Sam Ellinger. Really, the moment Sam Ellinger left that Colorado bowl game, Bijan Robinson is the guy that you look at Najee Harris to your point, Cody, of what we saw his usage rate was at Alabama, especially in the big games. And they played LSU and they played Notre Dame, getting the ball in your best player's hands. Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, Waddle when he was there, right? So seeing that at the running back position where we haven't had a thousand yard rusher, I believe since Deontay Foreman won the dope. And, you know, in the Tom Herman era, we were so quarterback run heavy. So not only were we doing the rotational thing, with our running backs, but we also had our quarterback taking up 150 carries a year. So I think having some of that consistency on the ground, as well as through the air, Keelan Robinson, Roshan Johnson, they can all catch the football as well. So we have a good supplemental group in my opinion. I think Michael would agree with me there, but Bijan Robinson is the face of the team. For sure. Yeah. When I watch you guys, uh, when I watch you guys, spring game, he was in my notes a lot. I want to, I want to, bounce it to the outside um Xavier Worthy man he has me excited everything coming out of camp is saying he's tearing it up um how do you see him fitting into into uh Sarkeesian's offense so he's he's right now the 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 buzz name early in camp he was the name basically as soon as we got him out of the portal way of Michigan and I I, I really feel like it reminds me so much of when Devin DuVernay fell into our lap from Baylor, mm-hmm. like yeah. that type of excitement about the a player we really shouldn't have had, but now we got him, And he has come in and taken our team by storm. It seems like behind the scenes and practice separation. I think he has an ability right now. If you look at some of the practice notes you're already hearing through three practices, a lot of people were questioning, all right, what's this guy going to look like when they're, no longer doing the summer seven on seven stuff, but more so getting into contact. 
And they are saying he is not backing down and he is, he is challenging Jordan Winnington for snaps. He is challenging, you know, the Joshua Moores of the world. Like, Hey, we got to figure out how to get this guy on the field. And what he brings to the table that we've seen other than maybe Calvante Dixon is just raw, unadulterated speed. Texas has to be more explosive. That goes into my point earlier about being dynamic and Xavier worthy checks that box where we've missed in recruiting for so many years with the speed guy. So having that, you know, that Cali speed in there helps. So I'm excited to see Mr. Worthy number eight out there rocketing. <laughs> I'm excited too. We haven't had, you know, I can't even remember the last speed guy we had. I mean, Marquis Goodwin, that was probably, there was probably somebody before him or um, since him. But, um, but the speed that they're talking about mm-hmm. with Xavier Worthy and, you know, another guy like that, that uh, Sark is trying to bring in is Brennan Thompson with that elite type speed that we desperately need on the Track outside type speed. Um, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I can't, I can't wait to see it. Um, so I don't know if it, this is me drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit as Texas fans like to say, um, I wrote down win loss for the season and I have Texas one 11 and one. The only two tough games I see are OU and Iowa State. I mean, it's going to be a tough start. We'll see how Sarkeesian starts it out. But if he gets the ball rolling early on, what's to say we don't go 11 and 1? So 11 and 1, it's not just – this is this is why I'm, I hesitate with that. Because there's, there's two sides of the coin here, right? The team finished 7 and 3 last year. 13 point mm-hmm. differential in those three losses. But we could set up here, if we're being real with ourselves, we either could have gone nine and one, 10 and zero, or five and five. Yeah. Like we were supposed to win the Texas tech game if we're being real with ourselves. But so that, that was, that was the game we were playing under Tom Herman. If we're going to go 11 and one, that means the staff has connected so well with the players early on. And we found a home run at quarterback to where we have those consistencies throughout the conference. I agree with you from a standpoint of we, right now we're currently favored in 10 of the 12 games we have on the schedule. The two games you mentioned, the two games we're not favored in. We think that by the time we get to Iowa State, we should have an edge in talent. I see where you're going on why we could flip Mm -hmm. the Iowa State game. I agree with you there. But the consistency is also, are you beating the teams you're supposed to beat? And then when you get into a close call with a team that, you maybe were supposed to beat by a couple touchdowns. You can still pull yourself out of it the way we struggle with that before, where we fumble at the end or we miss a field goal or, or, or have a holding call on a big play. Like those are the type of things that are the difference between an 11 and one or even eight and four. So we got to, I, I need to see that consistency first before I, I get all the way on, on board <laughs> with that yeah. personally. Yeah. And that's as much. As much grief as we give Tom Herman, how many blowout games was he in? Where 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 Texas got blown out? I I don't I can't remember. Any. I don't remember one. Yeah, you guys you He's, guys finished every game last year at least one possession. Yeah, there were there were no games in that I can remember. There's probably one or two, but no games that I can remember where we lost by two three touchdowns something like that. His teams had hard played all the way to the end, and they they kept us in games most of the time. And that's, um, I hope Sarkeesian brings that same mentality to the team and that same 
uh, heart and hustle and willpower and stuff like that. Um, but only time will tell. Uh, we'll find out in a little over three weeks uh, if that's the case. Well, the start to the season is key. I mean, we're playing yeah. we're playing Cody, one of Cody's SEC brethren in, in Arkansas very yeah. early, our second game. And we're playing them after we're playing Louisiana, right, who leads the country in returning production, or at least right mm-hmm. there with Iowa State. Those, Both of those the two, guys put up some points. Right. So you 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 start not that's where that's where I need to see a consistency up front, right? Like those are those aren't games where you get to tune up like AM's gonna get to tune up for a month before they actually play somebody. Like Texas is jumping right into it with a new quarterback, a new coach, new everything. So we've got to see that they're turning that corner to where we're picking up where Tom Herman's team left off and correcting a lot of those mistakes versus Mm -hmm. it's like, ah, we got to rebuild some of this or the coaches start to find out that they need a little bit more because we've had that happen before. That's why we've been had the staff turnover we've Mm -hmm. had. So Right off the bat, those first two games uh, will tell us, I think, a lot about how this season will go, especially when we start Big 12 play. That's Me and Michael had talked about how the Raging Cajuns, they knocked off Iowa State first game last year, how uh, Coach Stark needs to make sure those guys are ready week one, maybe even show them some tape from that game. Billy Napier, uh, head coach of Louisiana, he's no joke. He turned down that Auburn job, and that guy – is he's they they have all the confidence in the world with all those seniors and super seniors they have on their team they're not going to be intimidated when they come to bkr that first game now i will say this and iowa state fan will chime in here somewhere in the comments or make make <laughs> or hit y'all up on twitter iowa state fan will tell you hey we were thrown off they caught us in the covid thing right like they caught us right at the beginning when there was it was weird there weren't really fans and it was all the chaos. So you'll and and they beat them really on special teams. Like they had yep. like kick returns. And it was a whole bunch of things. But Billy, but that's all you need as one of those G five teams to get a little juice early in the season is when you catch people. So if you want to catch Texas before people are really really believing in what Sark is doing, that's the perfect opportunity on September fourth to do it. Absolutely. Yep. So going back to what we mentioned earlier, or I believe you mentioned, was the SEC news. Um, that's a big topic right now. Uh, when is Texas and OU going to move over? You know, stuff like that. Um, how 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 was your first reaction to that news? Seeing that news first, my initial reaction was I was I was shocked by the timing of it, mm-hmm. like now, right? And so. I, I, I was, you know, it was one of those things where you're doing, I've, I don't remember exactly what I was doing, but I, I didn't have my phone with me and maybe I was at the gym or something. I don't know, but I look up and, and, you know, Twitter's exploding. So everything is, <laughs> yeah. is, you know, Texas. And it's not, it was one of those things where it wasn't just like a rumor. It was like confirmed leaks. Oh, it's happening. And then, you know, Texas not answering the phone. Yeah. Oh, your president's not answering the phone. It's like, oh yeah, they about to leave. So I'm not surprised that I've talked about this for years, honestly, about realignment being a possibility. The timing of it threw me off until I realized NIL kicked in July 1st. Mm -hmm. This same summer, we had the playoff, the 12 team playoff unveiled to us in terms of what they want it to look like. Now, is it it's not fully been passed in effect yet, 
but I always thought the last domino to fall would be the realignment. So it was kind of a question of who was going to do it first. So I do give Joe Castiglione, Chris Del Conte, Jay Hartzell, all these people involved, a lot of credit for saying we want to control our own fate. And the SEC is on board with it because they want to be the first super conference. It's a mutually yep. beneficial r- arrangement. The only people that weren't on board with it were AM at first, but over the over time, the money, the dollars, ESPN, Disney being involved makes too much sense. So I think as as all, we've all realized as fans, the TV money controls so much of what goes on. It, you know, the Big 12, what are the big what is the Big 12 without Texas to know you from a and we talk about relevancy. TV numbers, who's who's tuning in, right? And so when you factor all those things in, it makes sense for Texas, it makes sense for OU. Absolutely. So we talked about your question. Oh, okay. go ahead. Kobe. No, go ahead. No, I'm I'm gonna switch. So go ahead, Michael. Okay. You, to answer your question about what is the big 12 without S and OU, it's honestly a group of five conference. I mean, there's no powerhouse in that conference. If we're being honest, the the best team would be Oklahoma State, um, and they're kind of out in the out in the dust. They don't know where they're gonna go. The Big Ten doesn't really seem like a fit for Oklahoma State. The Pac-12 would be the best fit, but I don't know if they're showing interest or not. So what happens to a the tech decent-sized university like right. Oklahoma State? There's also a question about their academic accreditations and where, what, mm-hmm. uh, organ, you know, and I, I, I'm not the smartest guy in the room to know who's connected <laughs> to what, but I know it matters to the Big Ten. I know it matters to the Pac-12. So there's questions of that as well. These teams are lobbying um, and they, you know, Kansas has to sell their basketball program. Baylor's selling mm-hmm. their basketball program. They both have elite men's basketball. They can't bring dollars to the table there. Oklahoma State would be a good team to have in your conference if you're asking them to be the sixth or seventh leg right not the problem is the big 12 was asking was trying to figure out who the hell is going to be the third leg to carry up the conference (laughs) and those aren't those type of teams but Oklahoma State they're solid across every you know every program men's and women's tech is Mm -hmm. tech went to a national championship game in basketball they have a good baseball program TCU as well but to your point if, the, if you're talking football in terms of the numbers, they are G5 of what they've produced. So it's it's one of those things. And, and I know a lot of people have been arguing, especially the people that are traditionalists, about what's right for college football, not always chasing the dollar. Is it right to Texas, things of that sort? So it's been frustrating to see from, from a different fan's perspective, I, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. You can go ahead, Cody, with your, uh, with uh, your switch. So we uh, we touched on the the beginning of the season. I want to talk about a, a mid season game. Uh, I've seen the video, so I'm sure a couple of Texas guys like yourself have seen the video of the senator pointing out three and seven the last ten years against TCU. <laughs> Does that change this year? What's up? What's up with the Horn Frogs? The Horn Frogs, you know, they've been the thorn in the side, right? And and it's it's frustrating because. Gary Patterson, no, he hates he hates Texas with with every bit of his soul. He he channels a, an energy. Their quarterback didn't play well at all last year, but when he goes against Texas, he looks like a Heisman candidate. And and you know each year it's, it was this struggle and this mental battle. 
But one of the things I've learned from one of the OU guys is execution. Uh, when I was talking to them, they were like, we don't have trouble with TCU because at the end of the day, it's really a straight up and down game. They get into, you have all these, especially on defense, they'll try to manipulate a lot of things. But at the end of the day, they're still going to play too high. You just got to beat them. You got to execute your stuff. And Texas has really struggled with that self-inflicted penalties, mm-hmm. mistakes. So Steve Sarkeesian, can he have the team mentally tougher? I think Tom Herman was so big on physical toughness. Our team was always big. We were always good at the line of scrimmage. That's why we we were able to play the way we did, played against Georgia in the Sugar Bowl because they wanted to play in a phone booth, and Tom Herman was actually good at that style of football. That's why we didn't have that many issues with Kansas State either. They like to play in a phone booth. But teams like TCU, where it comes down to do your job, take what's there, even our quarterback, I love Sam, but there was times where he would try to force him to taking that eight yards and keeping it moving yep. because TCU likes to bait you. They do all those type of things. So looking at this game now, Steve Sarkeesian, can he have those guys mentally tougher to say, hey, take what the defense gives you? Ball security is at a premium. And if we execute, we'll beat these guys with our physical talent. So That's going to be one of the biggest keys against TCU. That's, that's actually a game where we – Another game where it's a true serum test about how different the team is. I've, I've got I've got Texas coming out of that game sitting five and zero. Oh. So are you willing to say horned frogs horns down? <laughs> <laughs> I just want somebody to get a mic on that senator and, and see if she has that same energy uh, after that game. And hopefully that's not the last time we played. That was I a mean, good little. Who knows? Clip. Texas might be up. in the. SEC next year. Yeah. We might be making a trip to Knoxville to come see you, Cody. We, we, Who knows? All right. All right. Come on. <laughs> go get some uh go 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 say what's up to Mr. Josh Heupel over there. We can we can do it. We can find out who the real UT is. <laughs> I'm ready for it, man. I'm ready for it. I can't I, I really about. do want to visit Knoxville though, in all seriousness. I'm I'm actually thinking about coming down for y'all's that first game against uh LA the or Louisiana. Um, because Tennessee starts their season on the Thursday night. So after that, I could I could make it down for that Saturday game. We'd love to have you in you Austin, brother. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I'll be there. Be there and for anybody listening game. So if you see me or see Tran, come say what's up. Absolutely. Um so to this last question. The QB battle. That's yes, the sir. talk of the town right now, other than SEC. Um, Casey Thompson, Hudson Clark. I think Hudson is more skilled. He has the better arm. You know, he just doesn't have that experience kind of thing. And that's why I think Casey Thompson will start the season. I don't know if he'll finish the season as a starter, but how, how do you see that uh, quarterback battle playing out? So, from an experience standpoint, it's very, very – this is a fascinating quarterback battle. And I will say this. I'm team whoever's out there because with COVID and the way things are rolling right now, you need two quarterbacks. Because something can happen on a Friday. And this goes – this doesn't just go for Texas, by the way. This goes for you, Cody, if it's – you know, whether it's Bailey or y'all tried out Joe Milton. You need quarterbacks because oh, yeah. somebody t- tests positive on Friday, and next thing you know – you know, all the people that are team Hudson, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. you need, you need now, to be team Tennessee. You don't right. need to be team this quarterback. 
Right. You really do. Now, to, to answer to answer your question in terms of trotting out opening day starter, Casey Thompson, I think the experience on his side is probably being a little overrated because he didn't get to play as much as he probably should have before mm-hmm. for various reasons. The thing we give him experience because he was he had an historic performance in the Alamo Bowl. Yeah, he had an historic performance. So we saw him come in in a very hostile situation, you know, only up seven. I know Colorado wasn't good, but for us, how we were playing teams, he was the one that came in and just, you know, with the help of B. John Robinson, of course, and yeah. probably on Overshone, but they blew them out. So he's getting that edge, but he really hasn't played a whole lot. And then it's a different offense. So now they're kind of more evened out with the offense thing. A lot of people giving the edge to Carr because, you know, Lake Travis, RPO concepts, a lot of those type of things that Steve Sarkeesian likes to do seems like it's the good fit. I think if you're a Casey Thompson person, you want to see, we, we all want to see him rewarded for his loyalty to the program. When I say rewarded, that means he earned the job, Yeah. but I would yeah. like to see that as well. However, these scrimmages coming up that we won't get to see as fans. I think Steve Sarkeesian, that will help him get clarity on who should trot out there against Louisiana. Because at the end of the day, what you're looking for in the scrimmages is not just who throws the prettiest ball or has the best arm strength. You want to know who's the team responding to. When they get into two-minute drill, who's making the right decisions? Who's not turning the football over? Because the fastest way to lose the job is if you're throwing picks. And if Hudson Carter's showing better ball security as a younger guy than Casey Thompson, then he's going to win the job. And he's going to go out there as your opening day starter. I think we're fortunate to have two guys, though. I feel confident when they're out there that we can move the we can move mm-hmm. the offense and they can run Steve's system. I got to hear more from that first scrimmage before I'm ready to sit here and say <laughs> I'm all chips in on here, all chips in on here, because it's really that close. And that's how talented both young men are. Do you have any uh, any other questions, Cody? If not, yeah. I got one last one. Um, Steven, just while we got you on here, I've, I mean, I've got all these notes from Texas spring game. So I'm going to ask you some of the questions I kind of asked Michael from week one. Yes, sir. Um, who, who is wide receiver Josh Moore and why would he get you excited? Him, him kind of coming back, maybe getting to have a big season this year. So, uh, I, I don't want to get his mom upset with me. He, he, <laughs> he is very adamant about being called Joshua Moore. Oh, my bad. And, my bad. No, no, no. You're good. You're good. That's why we, you know, that's why we we, we share information. So Joshua Moore, if you're, it, it, he's, he's one of those guys. I like his game. I like the, 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 the upside, the potential. I've liked him since he came out of high school. The issue with him is consistency and strength and, and physicality. So you've had situations where Joshua, you know, he blew up. He had some games where he blew up. He had nine touchdowns last year. And a 10 game season, that's not, that's, that's terrific. If you're only looking at the numbers, but Michael knows you had games where you couldn't find the brother for three quarters. (laughs) Is he in the game? Right. And so these numbers are like, are kind of inflated in some degree. And now that Troy O'Meary's healthy, we have some other guys on the team. I don't even know if it's a given that he's necessarily going to be trotting out there with the ones come Louisiana. But if I, so to, to go more though, Cody, there was a guy that played for OU a few years ago. His name was D.D. Westbrook. Yeah. If Joshua Moore fills out the way he's supposed to, that's what Joshua Moore could look like, in my opinion, is another D.D. Westbrook type of receiver. 
but he's got to be more consistent with his hands. He's got to be more consistent getting off press coverage and being physical. If he doesn't show those things, especially in this offense now where they're not playing musical chairs with receivers anymore, he won't have not. Then you'll be hearing about more Xavier Worthy, Jordan Winnington, O'Mary, those kind of guys. Okay. Um, most of these other guys I've got down, I think me and Michael talked about last week, but I've got one that we didn't because I didn't do the research and get the guy's name, and I still haven't. So, <laughs> so you guys had a, a, a guy in a no-contact jersey, number 21. Did, did that's O'Mary. Yeah, that's O'Mary. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've, got, I've got him marked. Could be a big playmaker, question mark. Does that, does that sound fair? So Troy, Troy is a guy who was tearing camp up last year towards ACL. That's why he was in it. So he's still recovering. He's practicing full now. So, you know, you know, you got those young deers still that, that haven't fully developed. They can recover from the ACL stuff a lot faster than <laughs> us older folks, but Troy, his size is, is overwhelming. And what he's married with that size is he is explosive. He can run a lot of these big guys. You see them sometimes they can't run, but he can run. And he can go up and high point the football. Jordan Winnington has been gushing about his the fact that he he can just get his hands on stuff that other guys can't get to. Kind of like we had with a guy named Colin Johnson a few years ago. But he probably runs a little bit better than Colin did. Um, Colin's very, very athletic and had great verticality. But Troy can run away from people, I think, a little bit at his size. Um, and we haven't had that since, like, Roy Williams, to be honest with you, Michael. Or we had somebody yeah. that big and that fast. So that's the upside that Troy American brings to the table. All right. I think that's all I got here. I have one more for you. Um, yes, sir. I'm just going to throw it to the NFL. So with Carson Wentz out, unfortunately, you never like to see players get hurt, especially in uh, camp before the season even starts. I hate it for them. Um, Ellinger reports have been Ellinger is tearing it up. I like He's it. looking really good. Um, what are the chances that he comes and not only plays week one, but starts week one? What do you put those chances at, those odds, if you're a betting man? If I was a betting man, I would probably put it around 35% that he would That's be the week one starter. And it's not because Jacob Eason is going to hold him. It has nothing to – I think I think, I think, think what the Colts are learning is that Sam Ellinger – probably can be their backup and be when I say backup quarterback, like he can be active because one of mm -hmm. the things that Frank Wright did last year was when they had a guy by Jacoby Brissett, they were actually playing Jacoby Brissett and already quarterback run packages in conjunction with Phillip Rivers. So Sam gives you all those things. That was one of the things that appealed to the Colts because they already, because Jacoby Brissett went to Miami. They were like, Hey, mm -hmm. we can at least have him active on game days. Now with Carson Wentz out, the reason why I have it so low is because there's they I feel like they're going to want a veteran quarterback and there's going to be guys around the league. Nick Foles right now is running third team Chicago Bears. Nick Foles knows that entire offense like the back of his hand and won a Super Bowl with Frank Wright. Mm -hmm. I I'm sure there's some conversations going on behind the scenes there. I've heard and I don't know if these are rumors. I've heard that Philip Rivers depending on Carson Wentz thing, Phillip Rivers could come back. <laughs> now, the, I say th that because I say 35, that this, this percentage is rising. I think they also want to see what, how Sam looks in the preseason games. And yep. shout out to the Colts because their ratings are going to be through the roof from the Austin and Central Texas market. 
for those first two couple preseason where we know he's going to play a lot. I yep. think that'll be able to tell him if he's able to to look in the games the way that these practice reports are sounding. And I think one of the reasons why some people who are a little down on Sam are a little surprised right now, Sam's healthy. Yep. Sam's healthy. Yeah, he's making his throws down. He's not having rib problems, right? And yeah. it's all of a sudden, like, oh, this guy, you know, people are surprised, but we've seen that from him. We just wanted it consistently help with his health. So excited to see how that plays out. What do you guys think? You guys I think mean, he's, um, he's going to be the starter? To, to throw away back with the Colts, and it was a totally different league then, but when the Colts drafted Peyton Manning, there was, there was no question. He went right in and started. Obviously, he was a first-round pick. But um, I think, you know, when you've got a guy like Jason, Jason Jacob Eason, they've seen him for a couple of years. They've seen what happens during the offseason, what he comes back and remembers. But you got a guy like Sam Ellinger there. This guy's taken no days off. He's been there. He's, you know, he hasn't had time. You know, they haven't seen more of his bad side like they probably have Jacob Eason. Not, you know, not like you said, not down in Jacob Eason. But, um you know, Jacob Beeson knows, okay, coach don't like this, coach don't like that. Sam Engler's just, he's just out there slinging the ball. He's just out there balling. So he's not worried about, okay, coach don't like this, coach don't like that. He's just out there doing his thing. I think Sam's also motivated by the fact that he was a six round pick. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. He has that same energy that Dak Prescott, they, his personality, so much of Dak Prescott because. That those are guys that in their minds they believe that they're they're fantastic quarterbacks and they can't believe that other guys went in front of them. And, and that's the type of belief you need that supercharges a staff, that supercharges a roster. And the thing is, it's just is he healthy? Can he take care of his body? And if he's right now, you know, his study habits, to your point, Cody, first one in, last one out. He probably knows that offense just as well as Jacob Eason does at this point. Right, yeah. and that's a testament to his study habits. I mean, those the the Colts coaches have have seen what he's picked up so far, and it's like I was saying with Jacob Beeson, not saying that I've I've got insider information on the Colts or nothing, <laughs> but but you know they've they've not only seen what Jacob Beeson's learned, but they've seen what he's what you know he can forget in an off season. And Sam Ellinger's in there. This is all fresh in his mind. I, I hope Frank Wright gives Sam an opportunity to get some snaps against some ones on another team. And let's see what he does, right? Um, Dak Prescott got that opportunity when Tony Romo got injured. And Kellen Moore was in front of him and got injured. And we saw he was really ready. He was balling with all the – all the with Des Bryant and Jason Witten and all these, these grown men. They, there was no uncertainty when he walked in the huddle. Those guys were like, oh, this, this kid, we trust this kid. He knows what he's doing. I think, you know, there's some – there's – these guys on offense on the Colts were in the playoffs last year. Some have been in the league nine, 10 years. So for them to be moving and having the success they're having with Sam, that means they believe in he's, he's the team is responding to his leadership. So barring, barring some uh, pickup by the Colts, you've got Colts Panthers this Sunday, and you have to expect to see both Easton and Ellinger. So, Sunday I expect them to trot out Jacob Eason first. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Sam Ellinger will come out there. And what, if he plays against the ones, the twos, whatever, I expect them to move the ball. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. he's going to move the ball. Yeah, the kid slings the tighter. 
Absolutely. I, uh, like you said, I think the Colts are smart. They, um, they might not be putting these, uh, you know, insider reports out there to bring in the Texas uh, fan base. But when Texas fans see that and they know Sam Ellinger is going to get really good playing time, especially in the preseason, I, I know I'm going to be tuned in uh, when they play their first preseason game. And I bet a lot of people in Austin are going to be tuned in as well. Um, so I, I'm excited to see what he does. Absolutely. We all want the best uh, for Sam, especially, you know, again, our condolences go out to his family for the passing of his brother, Jake, and what he's been through, you know, losing his father early on, his brother, and the young man just continues to to press forward each and every day. It's a testament to, to how to live life, honestly. So everybody should be rooting for Sam Ellinger, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. But I'm excited to see him. You know, it's like a movie, <laughs> a little bit. So as long as, yeah, as, long as he happens. loses, uh, as long as he loses two games to these guys, I'm happy with it. Hey, y'all, y'all are building <laughs> up a little super team over there in Nashville, man. So I, oh, you, man. don't you worry about the Colts. Oh yeah, y'all are oh, stacked yeah. over there. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm excited. AJ, Julio, Derek. I Derek, mean, big Derek. Woo! It's coming together in Nashville. <laughs> you gotta tackle all them dudes. That's tough. Oh yeah, that's I've thought about it before. If if Derrick Henry was running at me full speed, I I would just give up. There's Biz- there's decision. no point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Watching highlights of him in high school with civilians trying to tackle him is one of the most <laughs> hilarious things I've ever seen, and especially in the open field where you saw some kids who were just like, "No, I'm not." Yeah, take me out of the game. I don't care. You know, I'm not <laughs> doing this. <laughs> it's hilarious. Absolutely, man. I appreciate well, you guys bringing me on. I always love talking ball. Hopefully, I get oh, to yeah. come back on here to give. Oh, for uh, sure. I want to see what the. I, I want the volunteers to come back to to. Oh yeah. To what they should be at too. Like uh, I grew up watching Tennessee, Florida being one of the top five games of the season every year, whether it was Peyton, T. Martin, Casey Clawson, all those guys under the Philip Homer era. And I want, you know, Coach Heupel, who, who, whatever, like I hope this is time to, you know, I know y'all had the port transfer portal issue, but I'm hoping y'all can come back to your hey, rightful place in the SEC. No matter what, it's going to be fun and all fans will watch. Yes, sir. They always watch. <laughs> Y'all always watch. You're right. That's where we share. We Hey, no matter what, no matter how much trauma they cause us, That's we're right. still there. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, once again, this is Steven Nagati, uh, Fanatic Perspective on YouTube. Go check out his YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe. Um, great content he puts out uh, very often. So make sure to go out and subscribe to his YouTube channel. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you, Steven. Thanks for having me, Michael. Thanks, Cody. Welcome. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in for episode two of Hard Knocks UT. Uh, Before we go, uh, check out our Twitter pages. Uh, Michael Barber is head contributor for Longhorns underscore ATV. Um, You'll find his personal Twitter in the bio. And I run balls underscore ATV. Look for my personal Twitter, at 3 and the bio there also. Special thanks to Steven Nagati, who runs Fan Perspective, um, Fanatic Perspective, 
and Trey Wallace from RTI. Be sure and go give them a follow um, for all your Texas and Tennessee needs. We're going to sign off. Please come back for episode three. Subscribe, be on the lookout, and thank you.